Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we, we welcome you. We're glad to have you. If you would, be open your Bibles to John, the fourth chapter. We won't have slides. Uh, well, we will have the text. Uh, John, the fourth chapter, and we're going to study one of the beautiful, beautiful stories in the Bible of evangelism. It is encouraging to hear the great report of our Bible camp this past summer. It's wonderful to hear of the conduct of our youth and how uh, their behavior exemplified Christ and of the knowledge that they gained in classes, growing closer to each other and closer to God. And uh, we're thankful for you, young people. You're a blessing to our family and, and to the family here of God's uh, family. And we're thankful for each adult that went and, and led in such a wonderful way. And we're, of course, thankful for Phil and tremendous work that he does all the time with our young people. Uh, Jonathan, if you don't mind, will you wave or stand up? Any of you that are first service, we had a baptism at second service. Jonathan uh, White was baptized into Christ, and we are thankful uh, for his decision. And you know, as we think about, as we think about our one campaign, really uh, what we saw take place this morning is, is what we hope we see take place over and over. Uh, Jonathan and his uh, wife and lovely family move into the neighborhood. The Moshinskis invited them to church a little more than a year ago, I guess. Uh, they, they started visiting, and, and Tim Martin began studying with him. And this morning, he's baptized into Christ. What's our place in that? Our place, everybody's place, is whatever your street is. That's your focus. Who is it that you can invite to Christ? Who is it in your office? Who is it in your workplace? Who is it... In, in your school? Who is it that's your friend? Who is it that's your family member? That's our world that we live in. And, and to be willing to say, you know, I have a responsibility to those people. That's, that's my one world that I live in. That's my place. And I want to make sure that I fulfill that. And then um, there's always people here that are willing to study with individuals. And what a blessing it is. The many opportunities God gives us. And, and that's what we talk about tonight. As we look at a story of evangelism where Jesus shows us how he did evangelism. You know, we've been having workshops for the past several Sunday afternoons at 5 o'clock where we talk about how we would do a one-on-one -on -one Bible study or how would we talk with someone if we went and knocked on their door. Here's an opportunity tonight for us to, to glean some truth from Jesus, the record here in the book of John, the fourth chapter, where he tells us, this is how I approached this woman. This is what I said. This is what I talked to my disciples about. And later, this is what I talked to the entire town about. It's a beautiful, beautiful study. As we think about that, I'd like to begin with just a simple realization of how we all have needs. Everybody here has needs. We have physical needs. We need food, water, oxygen. We need shelter. We need clothing. Those are physical needs that we all share. In relationships, we have needs that we share. Uh, Willard Harley Jr. Has, has sold over a million copies of a book that was written more than a couple of decades ago where he takes the five greatest needs of the average husband, needs that he needs his wife to fulfill, the five greatest needs of the average wife. She needs her husband to fulfill these needs. And if we're going to have healthy relationships, we come into that relationship willing to serve and fulfill the needs of our spouse. But have you ever thought about this? What are the needs as it comes to our spiritual life? John, the fourth chapter, beautifully describes for us what needs 
that Jesus had, needs that the woman at the well had, needs that his disciples had, that they needed to be fulfilled, and even needs of the city. Now, this is a long text, so we won't have the time to work our way verse by verse. Hopefully, if you're not real familiar with this, it entice you to take some time tonight before you go to bed or tomorrow and study through this. And as you study through, think about what is it that I need to learn? If the Lord's going to sit down and give us a, a type of a seminar to say, here is effective way to communicate with people, what is it that the Lord can teach us that we need to know? When we begin in John the fourth chapter, I'd like to immediately go to verse 4. But he needed. Isn't that interesting? Jesus needed. John 4 and 4. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And the woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Let's pause there for a moment. Isn't it interesting, if you have your Bible open there, just back up to John, the first chapter. We're reminded that incarnation means that Jesus was 100% God. That's John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Even though Jesus was on this earth as a manifestation of God's Word, He was God. But also as we skip down to verse 14, notice it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was 100% human. Now, if you want to stay up tonight not being able to sleep, just tell yourself, I'm going to figure that one out before I go to sleep tonight. That is one that just almost is beyond our ability to reason. How can Christ remain 100% God, but also be 100% human? He was while he was on this earth. That is a fact. And you know what we see? We see a bit of that as we read here in John the fourth chapter. Do you see what his disciples did? They had been traveling. They decided to go out and to buy some food. Why? Because Jesus was human. The disciples and him, they were weary. They needed some food. He sits down at the well to take a break, if you will. Now, we know also there's more to the reason why he sat down there at that well, but it would be natural because he was human. He was sitting there in hopes of some water. He would have naturally been thirsty. And so we see the fact that Jesus did have needs. He had physical needs. But I love the way it reads here in verse 4. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, if we had a map, I want you to, to imagine Judea here, and then just above it would be Samaria, and just above that would be Galilee. It would have been common for Jews to travel from Galilee down to Judah. But what most Jews would have never done was go through Samaria. They didn't want to have any dealings with Samaritans. They considered them almost less than human. And so it was interesting here that the wording is Jesus needed to go through Samaria. All the rest of the Jews would have said, I've never needed to go through Samaria. I won't go through Samaria. I'm too good to go through Samaria. But he says, I need to go through there. Have you ever jumped in the car to ride with someone and they're about to take one route and, and you immediately say, hey, if you will, can you go to the left here and, and go this? I need to stop and get something. You see what you're saying? You're saying, I'm directing the course here, if, if you would be so kind, because I need something on this course. Jesus needed something on the course that would take him through Samaria that if he went around, usually they would cross over the Jordan River, then they would go north and cross back over to come back into Galilee. He's saying, in other words, I don't need to go that way. Why? What do you need? 
Isn't it interesting that to make this occasion happen so that he would have the opportunity to talk to a Samaritan woman, he needed to go through this area. Friends, we have needs this week. We don't all have the same abilities, the same time schedules, the same opportunities. But we all have needs to participate in the work of this church this week and next week. All of us need to be prayerful about this journey that we're taking. We've decided to go right through the middle of Mount Juliet, not around it, not pretend like that everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay. Let's just live in Mount Juliet and pretend like we have no responsibility here. We're saying no. We want to focus on one town and we believe there's one problem that's very real that's touching everybody in this town unless they have this one solution that can rid this one problem. And so we're saying that's a real need and we're addressing that need and we need everybody to be involved in this, everybody to be diligent, fervent in prayer. Have you fasted lately? Why not fast over this? Why not pray about this? Why not see what you can do to reach out to others. Be sure and get the brochures. We have, I don't have one up, we have many, many of those. There's a few cases out. And so be sure you leave tonight with two or three of those and, and keep them in your purse or put them on the dash of your car so that when you run into somebody, that, that you, when you see them, you immediately think, I'd like to invite them. You can reach and grab that and invite them. It's a need that we have. In other words, we need to place ourselves on that course to say, I'm going to do my part. Now notice this. This woman had needs. Let's think about her needs for just a moment. When Jesus begins to talk to her, at first she identifies him only as a Jew in verse 9, and she can't really believe that a Jewish man would even have a cordial conversation with her because that just wasn't common in that time. But in 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, you see, that's the need she has in her life. And so he's saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow, He's offering something that causes her in the very next verse to address him as sir. Now, we're not going to really bring this out. as uh, We just don't have time in this lesson. But if you want to see something interesting, and then as he begins to talk to her and tell her a little bit about her life that she hasn't revealed in 19, she goes from, hey, you're a Jewish man to, you know, you're treating me, you're a gentleman, sir. And then, wait a minute, you told me things that nobody should know that has never met me before. You're a prophet. And then eventually it's going to work to verse 25 of, she brings up the Messiah. And in 26 he says, I'm he. You see how this conversation made progress? There were needs that she had in her life. And Jesus begins with a common ground. What are we around? We're around water right now. I'm thirsty. You're thirsty. Let me tell you about some water. Let me tell you about some water that, look at verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I give shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Probably her reference, Nar come here to draw, had to do with how hard of work it was to draw water out of a well and then carry it back. Friends, we look at this 
in our day and time and the convenience of indoor plumbing, and we probably think, oh, she was saying how wonderful it would be to have water that you'd never be thirsty again. Well, that is probably appealing to her. But it's here she brings up both. You mean I could have some water that I'd never thirst? You mean I could have water that I would never have to come back to this well again and I wouldn't have to draw this water up? What is this water? Oh, it's a fountain. It's springing up. What a beautiful thought. Do you see what's happening here? She has another need. She has a need to be able to see the difference in the physical and the spiritual. You and I should never, never say this out of, out of pride or arrogance. But do you realize when you and I think about life and we think about spiritual things, our neighbors around us don't think like that. Their life is wrapped up in the physical. Because we either live a carnal, physical, temporary approach to life, or we live a righteous, spiritual, eternal approach to life. Jesus is trying to move her into what she needs to understand. But she's having a hard time understanding it. She's starting to grasp some of it, but then she's coming back to, okay, water that I won't dip out of this well again. And you can imagine Jesus saying, okay, we're gradually getting there. And so what he does is he approaches another need. And the need for anyone that comes to the Lord to see that there has to be a change of conduct. He immediately goes to the immorality that's in her life. Notice as he talks about this, he says to her in 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now you can imagine how her heart probably sunk at this time. And if she was standing, she probably shifted on her feet. She probably began to look down and to look away from him. You can imagine how her body language would have probably been saying, I don't like talking about that. I've got to... I've got to deal with this some way, but whatever I say, it's going to be evasive right now. I don't want to deal straightforward with this. So here's her answer. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you've spoken truly. Even let her save a little face there. Well, you're right. You're right, you you don't have a husband right now, but we know that you've had five, haven't you? And we know that you're living with a man right now, and you're right, he's not your husband. Why did Jesus do this? I mean, really think about it. As we think about evangelism, is our idea, let's go in and sugarcoat everything, and and let's try to bring people in and, and... and let's try to act like that there's, there's no higher calling. There's no higher standard of living. There, there's, there's, there's nothing that you have to do. Just come in and start worshiping with us. Notice Jesus didn't do that. Jesus addressed the change that needed to take place in her life. And then when she becomes evasive to that, her next move is, which people still do it today, I want to change the subject. And I'm going to bring up a hot topic that always brings up a lot of debate so this conversation will stop being focused on me. So she brings up worship because there's always been a disagreement among the Samaritans and the Jews about where the right place to worship. It's because, of course, the Samaritans weren't allowed by the Jews to come down to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. And so they picked their own high ground in which to build uh, Mount Gerasim, which to build their place of worship. And so they would argue, this is the place you're to worship. The Jews would say, no, Jerusalem is the place to worship. So she brings that up. And you know what Jesus takes it back to? Instead of just having a debate about, well, you Samaritans and us Jews, 
Notice how he takes it to the authority of God. And look as we summarize this in verse 24. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. What did this woman need? She needed to start seeing life rather than just physical. She needed to start seeing spiritual. Let me tell you about some water that you never thirst again. She needed to start seeing a life that you could live that's, that's moral instead of immoral. Let's talk about the woman, the man that you're living with right now. She needed to see that the authority for worship and even for life is God. Let's worship in spirit and in truth. You see how he is working her through, if you will, this study. And what's interesting is they have talked about some pretty heavy things. And you know, our human nature might be, well, I tell you what, if you just walk up to a public place and sit down and start telling some, somebody about God, and the next thing you know, you're telling them that they can't live in fornication anymore and that, that it is important how we worship God, that person's going to say, you're offending me. I don't want anything to do with you. But you know what the result here? And no doubt it had a lot to do with the way Jesus approached it. You remember, it's Jesus' covenant that says, speak the truth in love. I don't have any doubt in my mind, everything we've just read that Jesus said, he said it in love. And I believe this woman realized he was saying it in love. And you know what her response was at this time? Instead of now thinking physical, she's the one that brings up the Messiah. To me, that's awesome. Does that, does that stand out to you? Here this woman's been challenged in her immorality. She's been challenged in a place to worship. Instead of being offended and saying, I don't want to talk to you, look, look what she is the one to say in 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She says, you know, the things you're saying makes me think of what I've been taught about the Messiah. He's going to teach us some really great things also. Friends, I know that this doesn't speak of everyone. But of the people that are searching, when they realize that they're being challenged not by people, they're being challenged by the Word of God, when they truly are searching, they generally do not mind being challenged by the Word of God. And so we're not doing any favors whenever we try to water things down so much that, oh, we don't want to ask too much of them. Friends, it's not us asking, it's God asking. And we do want to make sure that we speak the truth in love because that's the way our God's taught us to speak the truth. And notice here, he says in 26, I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine what this woman was thinking? All right, real quickly. It, that's, we're spending the most time on her. So quickly, let's look at two more groups that had a need. So at this time, if, if you want to look there in 27, by this time we see, and at this point, his disciples came. So let's discuss the needs of the disciples. Remember, they had gone away to get food, but they had come back apparently in time to catch some of this conversation. Keep in mind the friction between the Jews and the Samaritans. What is their reaction going to be? It's kind of interesting that, that this is how it reads. And they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? What was Jesus doing? I think Jesus was doing this, but he also was paving the way of understanding in doing this. He was showing that God's not partial. 
Jesus Christ came to save the Samaritans and the Gentiles just like He came to save the Jews. And Him reaching out to this Samaritan, and not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, and not only a Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman has five husbands and she's living in immorality at the present time. What was He doing? He was showing God is not partial. You and I can't take any of our neighbors and anybody and say, mark them off. They're just not a candidate for us to take the gospel to them. God's saying, by the, Jesus going to the woman at the well, he's saying, look, disciples, we're serious when we say go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm serious about that every creature part. But notice, they had enough respect for Jesus, even though they marveled and they didn't really understand why he was talking to this woman. They didn't say anything out loud at this time. They were just churning on it. I want to just give you one of those thought questions that's very opinionated here. But I just wonder if Peter, you know, later when he's received that vision, you know, we studied about it a few weeks ago, and he's told to go to Cornelius, and he's shown that vision to eat the unclean food, and he just kind of can't believe that God's sending him into a Gentile's house. I just wonder if maybe this occasion didn't run through Peter's mind. Like, wow. You know, I never thought about when Jesus was talking there at the well, that Samaritan woman... He really is paving the way for Christianity to be a religion and a plan of redemption that reaches out to everybody. So what did the disciples need? Number one, they needed to see that God is not partial. But then we also see, number two, they see that they too were struggling with the difference in physical and spiritual, in a sense, like the woman was. See there in 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. What is he saying here? He's urging them to see, look, I've just had a tremendous feast, and you guys aren't catching on to it. You see, they would have belittled the woman. They would have thought that that was a strange encounter. That wasn't anything productive that just happened. And Jesus is saying, this was a spiritual feast that just took place. Can you see the difference in the importance of physical things versus spiritual things. Yes, maybe it's good that you went to get some food, but something much more important than that has just happened here. Why? What has just happened? Back up one verse. Not only has this woman been reached, but look in 28. Then the woman left her water pot. She was in a hurry, wasn't she? Went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Could this be the Christ? Now keep in mind, as we are talking now what the disciples needed, this is happening in the background. In the background, you have this woman now who is fired up with the thought of, this probably is Messiah. He has told me things nobody could ever know that's never met me before. This is probably You can imagine her running through the town doing that. And now Jesus is over here saying, okay, let me get this straight. You just saw this woman. You saw a part of that encounter. You saw her leave. You see her telling everybody, and you're still wanting to eat a hoagie. Dude, you not see how important what's happening here. You're still more concerned about physical things than spiritual things. Isn't it amazing how we constantly fight that battle because we are physical people? And I think as long as we live, we will have to constantly remind ourselves that spiritual things are more important than physical. It's not that we can ever stop being physical while we're alive on this earth. That's not the goal. The goal is to make sure we keep our priorities right. And so now he begins to discuss with them, if you will, drop down in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. 
Okay, so what's his work going to be? That's his food. That's his spiritual diet is to do the will. So what's his will? Look at 35. This is his will. He says to the disciples, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. Until I was reading one of the old scholars this week, I really never thought about this in this particular way. Obviously, Jesus is saying, hey guys, this woman is going out and she's producing a lot of seed sowing right now that's going to produce a lot of harvest. If you'll just look up, you're going to see it. But notice, he goes back four months. Why four months? Well, that's about the time it takes to grow a crop. And do you see what he seems to be saying here? Hey, fellas, you maybe, if I talked about a harvest, you might say, well, I tell you what, we're going to have to go out and plow the ground up and we're going to have to sow some seed. We're going to have to cover the seed up and we'll have to wait for it to grow a little bit and then we're going to have to weed it a little bit and water it a little bit and, oh, watch your calendar. Four months later, then we'll start talking about a harvest. It's almost like Jesus is saying, gentlemen, what are you thinking? That lady is getting the harvest ready. Not in four months right now. It's happening right now. And you're still talking about whether or not we're going to eat supper. Do you see the harvest? Friends, how many times has God opened up door after door after door to literally put somebody right in front of us and we turn to something physical? Oh, I'm sorry i got to run. I'm, I'm really busy right now. Oh, I'd like to invite you in my house, but it's dirty right now. Oh, I, I, hey, I'll, I'll talk to you later. I, I've got a lunch appointment right now. I wonder how many times God has just shed tears because He's brought us together for that one moment that we had the opportunity to really see a harvest. And the only thing we could see was something physical. And again, I think we're going to wrestle with that as long as we live. But let's hope and pray every one of us wrestles with it. That we can one day reach the point in time where more often we see the spiritual things more important than the physical. And then finally about these men. Well, let's go ahead and skip down to 39 and let's look at the city. Keep in mind, back up there in 28 and 29, now we're going to see what were the needs of the city. They needed somebody to tell them and that's what this woman did back in 28 and 29. She started telling them about a man she met that she thinks is the Messiah and it really piqued their interest. And notice in 39, many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Pause there for just a moment. Even God gives her credit. We're not reading into this and saying, it's my opinion, this woman made a big difference in the town. God gives her credit. God says many came to be believers because she was the one that went out. And what'd she do? She just went out and told people about the Lord. Now, notice, if somebody comes based solely on somebody's word, that would be a very shallow faith. So let's skip down into verse 42 and let's see what happened to their faith. And when they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You see, they came to Jesus. They begged him, Will you stay 
Will you stay a little longer and will you teach us? And he agreed to stay there for two days. You can imagine how that probably made the disciples feel uncomfortable. They probably wanted to get out of Samaria as fast as they could. And he says, we'll stay with you two more days. And before those two days are over with, all of those people are able to look at the woman and say, we were first drawn to Jesus because of your words. Now we've heard him. Now our faith is deep. Now our faith is real because of his words. Friends, our words are to just try to point people to Jesus so that they can study and they can develop their own faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 and 17. Do you realize in that story, everybody had needs. Jesus said, I have a need to go through Samaria. The woman at the well had a need to see the difference in physical and spiritual. She had a need for someone to teach her a better moral life. She had a need for somebody to teach her how to live truth, even as it pertains to worship. She had a need to meet the Messiah. Her need was fulfilled. The disciples come up and they have a need. They also need to see the difference in the physical and the spiritual. They also need to see that the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord is timely. We can't look at a harvest that's ready to harvest and neglect it. Is the harvest now? If it's now in somebody's life, we got to act now in somebody's life. And then the need of the town. What did they need? That one town just needed somebody to go through that town and draw attention to Jesus. And Jesus is always, always able to do his part. Friends, with God, we can.